Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How's everything going uh, way up there in Seattle? Seattle, oh, Washington. So good. It's so clean. Such a clean feed up here. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Here on Clean Feed. Yeah, it does sound good. Sounds, sounds good. Sounds really good. Really, really good. Better, How- better tech solution. Mm-hmm. Improving the tech stack. Upgrading the tech stack. How are things in Austin, Texas? I know people listening to the show around the world are like, wow, Seattle and Austin, two legendary yeah, American towns. I know. In the one to two million population range. Yeah, are we about the same? I, I, I wonder about that. You know, Seattle and Boston are about the same size. I wonder I where Seattle's Austin, bigger. Yeah, I bet it is. Let's see. Population of Seattle, Washington, as of 2019. And its environs, yeah. 724,305. In the city itself, yes. Uh, and then San Francisco, 874,961. Right, a little bigger. Yeah. Portland, 645,291. Yeah, that's generous. And uh, Austin, much smaller, I think. Uh, Austin is well, uh, 950,807. Well, you know, we, What's you're, that talk, about? you're talking you're talking metropolitan area. The cities all define themselves differently. You know, the right. greater the greater region is really kind of what you're talking about. What yeah. what do we got? Seattle region. You know, this is great podcasting. Mm-hmm. Seattle. Let's just region. read off of Google and Wikipedia for a couple hours. You, you know, you know, American cities mm-hmm. population. That's mm-hmm. a good place to go. Yeah. New York is the lar- largest city in the United States still, uh, with almost 9 million people. Isn't that impressive? The largest, di- without looking, without mm-hmm. looking, do you know what is the, um, and I guess that you have to decide how you want to define largest. Right. But what do you think would be the largest city, however you define the word large, what do you large. think that would be? In the world? Yeah. Well, I think it might be Lagos, Nigeria, right? I think the ones that we were... Well, so Tokyo is very big. Tokyo is... When I look this up on Wikipedia, they're talking about population. And it says, the figures are a mixture of city proper, metropolitan area, and urban area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says, for example, several cities such as Jakarta and Seoul have significantly larger metropolitan population figures, which are excluded in the UN data. Oh. So this is a little flawed just from the get-go. But Tokyo is listed as number one as 2018, the population estimated at 37 million. Delhi coming in second. <laughs> 37 million. With 28. Shanghai, Sao Paulo. Mexico City, Cairo, and in this, New York is all the way down at 11. Yeah. Uh, with a mere 18 million. An embarrassing yeah. 18 million. Yeah. I, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine when they say 37 million. <laughs> what are they all doing? Uh, that can't be. It's wrong. Like the population of Ukraine is only 40 million. Yeah. And I could count all them in an hour. Uh-huh. So, I but then again, but then again, who does? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it says here, a city can be defined by its administrative boundaries. Yeah. A city proper. But then that's there's also an urban area. 
which urban is area. contiguous urban area. And then there's the metropolitan area. So depending on how you actually define these, you're going to get different, different numbers. The density, I think, is a more interesting number. The population you are density. Density. Yeah. Uh, it says here on this list of uh, World Population Review that Austin is the 10th biggest city in the United States. Is that possible? Yeah, weighing in at a at a hefty million twenty eight, um, and that is you. You guys are your population is skyrocketing. Yeah, it's too much. You're way bigger than than uh, San Francisco, and um, and then bigger than Seattle. So Seattle and Denver, right about the same. San What's Francisco's weird about Austin com- compared to a place like SF or New York, like when I, I was in New York recently, that's, you know, it's just what you have to do sometimes. Yeah, you do. And you feel like when you're in New York, you can, you can kind of, you see everybody, you can see everybody. So when you're there, you see all the big buildings and then you see all the people out and you're like, wow, like you go, you walk around rush hour in like downtown Manhattan. Oh, there's people everywhere. It's wall to wall people there. They're all pressing up on you. And you're like, yeah, there's a lot of people here. And then San Francisco, I feel like, is the same thing. When you walk around, there's people, they're out, they're out. They're walking around, they're in their cars, they're in the buses, they're getting around. But here in Austin, I mean, yeah, there's crowded areas and things like that, but it doesn't have the same feel of like everyone's out. But where they are is they're all in their cars. They're Mm -hmm. all in their cars. That's where Austin's population is in their cars and they're actually trucks. Mm. And that's where they are. I went to a farmer's market over the weekend and it, it recently, it recently moved. It used to be in one place that had really, really horrible parking. And it was, it was just impossible. You couldn't park. Cause again, everyone's in their cars and there's no way to get, no one's walking unless you live, unless you live in like the very close vicinity to where this thing was, you have to drive there to get to it. Everything is driving here in, in Texas, but certainly in Austin. And after years of being in this horribly tiny little spot with horrible parking, they moved to a place that kind of is more of a dedicated space. It has a huge parking garage and just the sea of people that are descending upon this place every Sunday morning. And for those of you in, in Austin or the surrounding areas, I'm talking about the Mueller farmer's market. It's a much better setup now, but it's just, it's just crazy. The number of people and they don't, they're not, not really doing anything. They're just sort of walking around, looking around, you know, maybe they buy something, but there's a lot of people I saw, even many of them just by themselves, they're just sort of sitting there or standing there that they're not doing anything. They're not buying anything. They're just sort of gone out and, and they're just sitting there. And I don't, I never have done, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe this is something I need to start doing, just going somewhere and just sitting there. But when I go somewhere, usually I go there with a purpose, John. I go there because I need something or I, there's something to do. I don't just go to just be in a place. Like, what are you doing? We're going to the farmer's market. Oh, what are you going to get? Oh, well, I have to get, there's this one cheese that I got to get. I'm going to get my knives sharpened. They have the barbecue there. There's this gluten-free bread I want to get. And then I'm out. No, maybe I'll get some tacos while I'm there. I wouldn't just go to just, now I'm just going to go and there's there's some grass. I'm just going to sit there for a couple hours and just look at you with my dog. 
You don't go places just to go there and walk around and be there. No. I go for a reason, you know? Now, if I was going to, like, some beautiful, like, uh, you know Portland has that amazing gardens, the Zen gardens, and, you know, the fountains and, and near the waterfall thing? Yeah. I've been there, and I went there with not, just to look around, but the activity was to look around, because you're in this sort of curated, as you as you say, this curated nature. And that's, I mean, then I was just walking around, looking around. But that's what people go there to do. I wouldn't go to a place where people, like I wouldn't go to Whole Foods and just stand around in there, look around at people. But you're familiar with the concept of people watching. Uh, yeah, but I, w- I only do that when I'm, like if I'm in an airport and I, and I have an hour before the flight boards, then I'll do that. But I wouldn't but just wouldn't go to- you wouldn't do it as a, you wouldn't say like, let's go people watch. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna- take time out of my day to just sit. And I can't believe though, with the number of people, there were thousands of people at this thing. There's no way that all those people are just people watching. Because a lot of them, they'd sort of lay, you know, they lay on the on their back with the sunglasses on. They're not really looking at anything, but they're not getting a tan because they're wearing pants, you know, jeans. Sure. They're not getting a leg tan. They're not out there to get a tan. They're just sitting there, you know. Sometimes people just sit there together. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're not doing anything. I feel like that's what people do on the roads. They're just driving for the sake of driving. They're not really going anywhere. I would never drive. I would never drive if I didn't have to be somewhere. The point isn't the journey. It's the destination for me for driving. There are a lot of people driving where they don't have anywhere to be. Anywhere to be. They're just out. Clogging the roads up. Dan, you're hitting on, you're hitting on a key question. Yeah. Uh, that we address here on the show all the time, which is, what is the point of anything? Yes. I mean, not to get too uh, Judge John Hodgman on it, but but what is the point of anything? I mean, that's not the that's not the philosophy of that show, but it's the philosophy. It's what I feel when I listen to that show. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of like today, for instance, in uh, Seattle every spring. The, um, the quad at the University of Washington, which is the big liberal arts quadrangle, mm. uh, it, 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 it's lined with cherry trees that bloom early in the year, er, er, early blooming white flowered cherry trees. And when the cherry trees bloom, it's a big event in Seattle. And it has been my whole life and for decades before. When the cherry trees bloom, it is, it's like Groundhog Day here. It's, mm-hmm. it's, symbolizes the beginning of the year in a way. And when you're going to the University of Washington and the cherry trees bloom, um, it feels very like it is spring now. It's like spring quarter is coming. You just feel, you feel like uh, you have, it's, it's one of those classic college experiences. Yeah. Right, like the quad in the winter with the wind and the rain and you're hustling across carrying your books. That's one thing. But when the cherry trees come out and everybody in the town that has any connection to the University of Washington or is from here or, you know, like I don't think recent transplants understand the cherry trees at the university. But there are a lot of things like when the 
when the Christmas boats go through the locks, like all of these are very old Seattle events. And most years, people make a pilgrimage up to the University of Washington this week, because it only lasts a week, and they look at the cherry trees in bloom. Now, if you've seen it once, you've seen it. You're good for the rest of your life. But because it's just the quad with cherry trees. Like you could call up a picture of it right now. You could type in University of Washington cherry trees and there it is. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's a, but it's a thing we do every year. It marks time. And it, um, I don't know, it, it, it's a symbolic sort of... Uh, in a way, it's maybe the thing that most communicates to me the new year, much more than New Year's Eve, which, as we've established, is is an awful holiday. Yeah. And I was talking to my mom today. Well, we got to go up and see the cherry trees. What do we got to do? We got to get on the, we're going to take the light rail? Or are we going to, you know, all this kind of navigating the thing. And when you get there, it's you're not, you look at the trees for about a minute but then you look at the people looking at the trees, mm-hmm. and that's the real activity. And it's not that there's anybody interesting. It's not like there's some. It's not like the naked cowboy is there. There's nobody on a unicycle. They're just normal, like middle America, slightly trending, outdoorsy Seattle, slightly trending, educated university. Right. So you're not watching them like because they're going to do anything. You're just standing there while they stand there. And honestly, Dan, I think that standing in a place, watching other people stand in a place has got to be one of my top five activities. And I, um, and has been my whole life, like go to the Austin farmer's market Mm. Post up in a corner somewhere mm-hmm. where you're out of the way and then just watch the people go by. Watch them. There's a lot watch, of people I think who are, you know, doing that. Yeah. There. The problem is they're not getting out of the way. They don't that's get out the, of the way. That's the one technology you need to add to that is find a place where you're not in the way and stop. I counted, I counted while I was there seven times in the short period. Of, I mean, I was only there. Yeah, yeah, I want to get in and get out. I well, think I know because you're just getting your cheese. You're yeah, getting you know what the, I got to get. Yeah, a couple of things. It's some. I'm there for. A re- I got other things. I got to do. Sure, you got other places to be. Yeah. And so I counted seven times where the people that were and different people each time. It's not one. I'm not dumb enough to follow yeah. one person around. Right. But that as we'd be walking somewhere, that the people in front of us would just suddenly just stop. They oh, would yeah. stop. Oh, and sure. it it wasn't it wasn't like they, rem- oh no I forgot to get that no it wasn't that, it wasn't that their phone buzzed and they were oh what's that I got to look at it, they'd just be walking clearly walking towards something eh, moseying, and then they just stop, yeah. and they're just and then they just stand there, and they they don't even it's not like they look up at something they just stop, and it's not that they even start talking to each other they just stop. And this happens uh, approximately seven times. And I'm confused by that too, because if I have to stop, I, I don't know if I have ever stopped. Like if I'm walking 
I'm going to a destination, I'm going somewhere, right? And if the only reason I would stop is if if something like appeared in front of me that I had to avoid. And so, for example, like if I did say, oh no, you know, I left my wallet in the car, which I'm imagining, I've never done that. But I assume that that's a thing that happens to people. I have left my um, mask in the car though. So let's say I'm walking out of my car, I'm halfway through the parking lot to the door of the Target where I know I need to put the mask on or something. And by the way, for the future generations, we're talking about the uh, COVID pandemic slash endemic of 2022. And so I would uh, stop and I would, you know, oh, I got to go back. Then I might, I hit the invisible wall and you stop and you bounce backwards and you go back to your thing. But that's not what these people were doing. They were just sort of, they were just like someone had said, you can stop here and they stop. And then there's people behind them, me and a group groups of other people that were moving forward and now we're all just, we're all stopped while these people, I guess, decide, I don't know what they're going to do next. I don't know. They just sort of look around for a minute and they look over it and okay, like, so yesterday, here's another unrelated, but, but different. Do you have, do you have vehicle inspections there in, uh, in what, in Seattle? Uh, well, it's a good question. We used to have to have to pass emissions every two yeah, years. Yeah, the emissions uh, inspection, yeah. Uh, but we stopped doing that last oh, year or the year so, before. I want to stop doing it. Well, you know what happened? Washington ran the numbers mm-hmm. and realized that the project had been an overwhelming success. They had taken all the old polluting cars off the roads uh-huh. by making it super shitty for everybody for 20 years. And... As as we both know, when you drive on American roads now, there are no old cars anymore. Mm-hmm. Used to be, there were cars for for you know there were sixty year old cars still still plodding around. Mm-hmm. Now there are none. Every single car looks like a lozenge that someone's been sucking on all day. And the state of Washington was like, we we. We find so few cars that actually don't meet standards that the whole project is a waste of money now. Like, we won. We did it. And so rather, it's a rare instance where a, a bureaucracy like that, that probably employed hundreds of people and had, you know, had the, um, like, every kind of inertial reason to just keep plodding along forever— Somebody up upstairs was like, we'll just shut the whole thing down. And they did. They just shut it down. And it's over. That's amazing. I'm jealous. What about that? What I, about I would, that? I would kill for that. Think about that for a second. Think That's about amazing. the emissions requirements in California. Those people suffer so much yeah. in California. But but it's all redundant now because we won. We won the, the the old car emissions problem. Now we have to just go up the chain, up the chain to the to the source. And a geothermal energy is the future, Dan. I'm convinced. Well, yeah, I think I think you're probably right. Did you read the thing? Did you read the thing about the people at MIT that figured out that they can use lasers, like plasma cutting lasers, to drill to the center of the Earth? No, that well, hold on, put a pause on that because I have one more thing I want to say about the emissions thing. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Just to button that up, just to button yeah. up the top. Button it, button it. 
So I had to go get emissions on my truck. You know, my truck's two years old or something, but it, oh. it, it needs three maybe, but it <laughs> obviously needs to get its emissions checked. Right. Because sure. who knows what, what I could have done to the catalytic converter, you know, in, in two years. Yeah. You're rolling coal. I know you are. Right. So, you know, you go in there and it's, it's all just a racket. And the thing is it costs $18 to do it. It's $18. It's oh. not, it's not much money. It's not much money. But it, out of your whole day, it's a, a huge inconvenience. Yeah. But I found a place that was near my mom's uh, house. So when I dropped the car off, I could walk the rest of the way. I could walk to her house from there, walking down sort of the side of the road, which is something I haven't done in a long time, just walking. like not, and I'm not talking about like walking in a street in a city. Of course, we've done that. This is just like a highway. You just walk down the highway. So I did that, which is kind of neat. And then, because you get weird looks from people. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you walking down the... So I... But but here's the interesting thing. So in order to drop, the way they have this system set up at the place I went, and I've been there before, you park your your vehicle, and then you walk over and they have like a little stand where you write your name on the little... uh, on the little clipboard. And then you write the time that you got there vehicle phone number but they'll never they'll never call you by the way you just write the number i guess and then you hang your keys on a little hook anyone literally literally there's there's nothing to stop anyone from just walking up grabbing the keys and just driving away with your car there's nothing that's not policed it's not in plain view of anyone there's no cameras it's literally if you felt like you wanted a car and you had no problem stealing it you could literally just just hang just loiter because the place is connected to a car wash and you it's you know one of the like car washes where they they drive it through for you and they yeah. wipe it down and you can get it detailed if you want and there's a waiting area with free popcorn inside and they've always got some kind of like soccer game going on but you could just sort of loiter and wait for the car that you wanted to get its inspection and then you just walk over there grab the keys and drive and I'm not giving ideas I'm certainly not condoning this Behavior. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, yeah, I'd say don't do that. But that's, so that's weird. But the person in front of me, you know, I'm waiting to uh, drop off the key and put my name on the clipboard. And I'm standing behind her and she's, you know, she's already signed her name. And now she's, they sort of have like a cork board up there with all kinds of legal information, permitting information, you know, tax ID number you know, the, the little sign for workman's comp. And I notice that she's just reading this stuff. She's just reading it. Like it's posted information for the customer, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's by law, they probably have to have the workman's comp thing. And she's just reading it. And I'm thinking to myself, doesn't she just want to get the hell out of there? Like, why is she, like, I, I want to get in and get out. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not here to hang. Like, I'm mm. just, I'm going to drop off the keys. I got something else I'm going to do. I'm, it's, t- you know, it's limited time. I want to see my mom. I have to help her put a hard drive in her computer. That things to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to be rude either, you know. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, how long is she going to be reading the workman's comp, you know, thing or the, you know, like the tax ID number? How much reading is, it's like if you were in an elevator, now they have that, that thing inspected. Like when it was inspected, 
Sure. You know, you look at that, but you only look at that while you're in the elevator waiting for your floor. You're not going to stand there and like spend an hour in there reading it. And I was looking at it, I'm like, okay, you know, like, let's, let's move on. And she didn't, she didn't do anything. And a, a couple minutes went by. I'm now I'm starting, John, I'm starting to get antsy. Maybe she's a law student. I mean, she looked, she looked more like she was approaching her mid sixties, but that doesn't mean she couldn't be a law student. I bet there's a lot of mid sixties law, but she didn't strike me that way. Mm -hmm. Sort of the hippie, hippie vibe. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. You know, I mean, I'm impatient, but I'm, I'm, I can control that. Yeah. And so after I get two, three minutes of this, she kind of does the half turn and then the sort of startled jump. I wasn't, oh. listen, I wasn't right on top. I was a good two feet back. Sure. Going to give her space. Sure, of course. I said, oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know you were there. I'm like, that's okay. And she's like, oh, well, you should have said something. And I, I'm like, you know what? But it's not like, it's not my response. I didn't get into this with her. I wanted to. I went to sidebar. But I'm thinking to myself, like, is it my responsibility to tell somebody that they're taking too goddamn long doing something? Or should you just, as a conscientious person, just every if you just glance over your shoulder, use that sixth sense that you have to determine if somebody's eyeballing the back of your neck while you're doing something that you have no business doing in a public space. Hmm. And then move on. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take it upon myself to read every single thing that's stuck up to the cork board, mm -hmm. I feel like you just once in a while, just toss a glance over your shoulder. And say, oh, there's no one back there. I'm good to go. I'm good to stay here. Like, have you ever struck up a conversation with somebody in line, like the, the cashier at a place and you're having a conversation or barista, as you say, at, um, at a Starbucks or a coffee shop? No, we don't say that, but yes, go on. And you're, you're looking there and you're talking to the person and you, you kind of glance to make sure, like, um, are we holding up the line? We, are we holding up the line? And, uh, and you want to be cognizant of that because you don't want me. I hate, I hate making people wait. I never want anyone to wait for me, ever, ever. If I'm ever the cause of someone waiting, I apologize ahead of time and in advance for anything. But just toss a glance. That's all I'm saying. Just toss a glance. What's over there? Oh, someone's coming. I bet. Okay, well, it was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. We'll see, see you next week. And you're out. You cleared the way. All right. Yeah. So I'm sorry to, what were you, you were going to start talking about a new topic and I, I would like, I mean, I'm interested. I'm here for it. No, you know, I'm always interested in talking about how other people are toddlers. <laughs> uh, and it's just a, it's just a thing. And I, I honestly, Dan, I don't know whether uh, people, whether it is a sense like whether it is actually you know a, when someone's looking at you. Well, a lot of people appear not to. Um, NPCs. A lot of people. Mean. There are a lot of those. There no one. Lo here's the thing. If you're hearing John in my voice right now, you are not an NPC. Anyone listening to this is not an NPC. I can tell you that right now. Because if they are an NPC, then they're not really listening. They're not here. And therefore, they, they do not have the capacity either to hear understand or reply to us therefore what everyone about, currently listening is not an npc what about the what about the the recent film where the npcs become sentient and end up being heroes and something else happens in my experience an npc can only become a full-fledged human through uh through direct interaction Vampirism. with a human so for example let's say that you're walking you're walking around looking around 
you're at the farmer's market, you pull up in the corner and you see someone clearly an NPC and you go up to that person and you try to interact or engage with them. Their default programming is to get out of that conversation as quickly as possible. They'll do what they need to do to, to keep up the charade, mm. but they're going to as quickly as possible, you know, fold back into the background because they're background people and they're just going to kind of fold into the background. But if you can, if you really try to engage with them, I think the, the, the simulation will say, Oh, okay. Hang on a second. There's an engagement happening here. We need to toss some more CPU resources at this NPC to make them flesh out more, to seem more real than we had originally anticipated. Because this rogue element, this Roderick, is engaging with mm-hmm. something he has no business engaging with. So then mm-hmm. that thing will, the NPC will get some more personality, get some more thinking process, all of that stuff. And, uh, and then, essentially become real for the period of time that you need them to be real. So I was, um, I was talking to a friend of mine and I suggested to her that I, I, I said, let's do a thought experiment. What, a, you know, what do you think maybe that you are an NPC? And she said, no, I, I know I'm not an NPC. I said, well, that's exactly the kind of thing an NPC would, would be programmed to say. And she's like, but no, I mean, I know that I'm not. And like, again, exactly. And she said, uh, she said, well, she said, I I know that I'm not for a lot of reasons. I said, well, what are they? She says, well, I have memories. I said, well, of course it it seems like you have memories, but they're not real memories the way that my memories are real. And she said, what, what do you mean? Why, what are you talking about? And I said, well, your memories are, are implanted so that you can, you have just enough memories to function and have the appearance of being a real person. Whereas I've actually had the experiences and, and for you, they're implanted memories. And, 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 uh, and she said, how do you, how do you know that? And I said, because you were basically booted up the minute that I started talking to you before that you were, there was nothing going on there. And she said, but I have things I remember. I remember, I'm like, it only seems like you remember them. You just started right now. And we did this as a sort of a thought experiment. I obviously didn't mean it. She knew I didn't mean it. It wasn't, it was not a gaslighting thing. But the interesting part about all of that is that could really be true for any of us. Like we feel like we all started years ago when we were kids and we have these memories. But who's to say that the world didn't begin 30 seconds ago and everything prior to 30 seconds ago is just we don't know it because we were just turned on, but we were restored. You ever had your computer power nap and Apple has this feature called power nap where if your computer like runs completely out of batteries, it will save the contents of Ram and everything to the disc and then shut itself down. And when you turn it back on, instead of booting up from, from start, it will resume where it was like its consciousness has been paused and everything it was doing and thinking about all the apps, everything that's in RAM, everything is on the screen. It comes back from where it was as if you'd woken up from sleep. But in reality, it was powered down. What if that's just us? What if that's just our reality? That our reality, that this whole thing, everything we're doing is, is not thousands and millions of years old or whatever you believe, that it's just moments old, hours, seconds, that we just, even mid-sentence, that everything I've been saying up to this point I only just woke up three seconds ago and it, I have these memories 
of stuff that happened before, but it's never, it's not real. We just started just now. What do you think? Oh, well, I think it's the plot of Blade Runner, but also, exactly. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, um, you know, it's a thought experiment that I feel like people have been playing back to the Greeks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's at the core of I think, therefore I am. Um. And honestly, I wonder if it, well, certainly it's not knowable because by the very terms of your argument, it's unknowable. It has to be unknowable. And so does it matter? Right? That's the, that's the problem with the multiverse or the, um, you know, like a universe that is exponential or fractal or. I, at a at a level we'll never be big enough to to look down on it I, I, i'm not saying does it matter like that's my philosophy because mm-hmm. of course i think it matters of course i will sit and dance on the head of a pin with all of my friends um but but it's the same as sitting at a farmer's market and watching people go by yeah it produces no, uh, unless there's a form of geothermal energy which is tapping into the to the energy created and expended by people's brains. No, created, uh, created know, by know. brains, <laughs> yeah. because that that is the plot of the Matrix, <laughs> uh-huh. right? That we somehow human beings you can feed them some kind of gruel directly to their stomachs, but but that humans are engines that produce. What was the plot of the Matrix again? That, we, it, that we are basically batteries. For, we're batteries. We are the batteries that power the AI, the computer AI. That right. it, that is in in this that it was we who scorched the sky, and somehow in our battle against the AI, which are computers and robots, robots. that they have determined that because I guess they used sunlight as their power. Mm-hmm. And since we blocked that off by causing a sort of nuclear winter, they needed to turn to another power source. But rather than, even though these are infinitely intelligent, artificially intelligent beings, yeah. that they were not able to do something like, for example, clean nuclear energy. They didn't do that. No. Instead, they enslaved the entire population of the earth uh, and have all human beings are now in little pods with tubes and wires connected to us. And in order to keep us in there, they have to feed us this matrix that is an illusion of, of the real world and of consciousness. Sure. And that, that instead of innovating with nuclear fusion or nuclear energy or anything like that, these infinitely smart, artificially intelligent beings said, let's put people into pods and connect wires to them and feed them gruel. Where does the gruel come from? I think that it's mashed up people who have died, like a Soylent yeah. Green thing. Gruel farms, yeah. But uh, despite that, that's that was their solution, and that's why human beings are all in the pods in the simulation. I don't think when I talk about the simulation, I'm not. I don't think the simulation works like that. 
Oh. I don't think that we're plugged into this simulation. Mm. I think that it's possible. I mean, who knows, John? It's possible uh, that we're I'm like... Glad that, I'm glad that you're saying it's only possible. It's possible. Yeah. I, you know, maybe we're like beautiful glowing orbs of light and that we're plugged into the simulation. It's like school for us. We're learning something. Or maybe we exist fully within the construct of the simulation, that it's mm. truly an ancestor simulation and we exist fully within it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough to say, but I, I'm pretty is, sure we're in a simulation say. though. I'm pretty sure it's, there's too much to show me that, that, uh, that we are. I mean, let's I see drill down on that for a second. Yeah. You feel, you feel fairly confident pretty that we're confident. in a simulation. Yeah, I think so. That doesn't mean that this, it's no less real. Right. Well, no, it's less real if you're in a simulation than if you're not in one. Wouldn't well, you agree? No, because consciousness is consciousness. Uh, it's not for me to say that an artificial life form that's fully capable of thinking and, and having consciousness is is less alive than something that isn't. If something is fully conscious, and it, I think therefore I am kind of way, then that thing is is alive. Whether that thing exists inside the construct of a simulation inside of some kind of giant quantum computing mechanism that we can't understand, or whether that's organic, I don't I don't feel like we are in a place to say that one is more or less real than another one. If you're alive, if your consciousness is fully present and self-contained inside of a construct versus outside of it, you're still experiencing everything. It's still real. It's still really happening. And if you touch the table, you can feel it. Did you know, <coughs> excuse me, that you know what the texture of something is going to feel like even before you touch it? Like you can, you can fully understand what something's going to feel like by just looking at it. That's because yes. the simulation. And is that's that right? why everything tastes like chicken. I hear that uh, ostrich actually tastes like beef. I did it's not a bird. know that. It's a bird. It's basically a giant chicken. Yeah. The one thing that doesn't taste like chicken is the biggest chicken of all, which tastes like beef. Do you think once an animal reaches a certain size that it then starts to taste like beef, regardless of what it is? A land, a land animal. Yeah, that's right. I was about to say, I don't think a whale tastes like blubber. beef. Have you eaten the blubbers? No. I see you as a blubber lover. No, no. I, one, of my, one of my great regrets in my years in Alaska was I never really went out to the, uh, the Arctic villages. Yeah. I went uh, to a lot of interior villages and southeastern villages, but mm. I never went to the Arctic villages, and, I, and now I'm sad. Now I regret it. It's not like you could go now either. Well, you could, but you know, back then I had, I had resources. My my dad and my uncle and my high school principal, and there were all these people out in the villages that would have, that would have, I would have been, if not welcomed, at least you know, chaperoned. And now I would just be a regular who was out there like a dummy. But you know, my dad was the administrator, the municipal administrator of the town of 
Arctic Circle, Alaska. He and my uncle, the village, which was run by a by like a village kind of board, um, they had run into trouble and bankrupted the town somehow. And my dad and my uncle went up and helped them put the village back together and, you know, and, and kind of develop, I guess, get work on a project of development and, and, um, put the wheels back on the, on the, on the truck. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever told you, but my my car in high school was my dad's. I had two cars in high school. I had the Fiat that I bought from the classified ads, but my dad also had a 73 Chrysler Imperial that I inherited. And um, when I went went away to college, you know, I came back that next year and I was like, where's the, I called it the boat, of course, because I was a teenager and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, where's the boat? And he said... Oh, I gave it to the city of Arctic Circle. And I said, there's no road to Arctic Circle. Uh-huh. And he said, I drove it up to the Yukon River and I put it on a boat, a barge, and barged it down to the village. And now it's like the city staff car. You know, it's like the it's like the municipal car or something. And you know, it's the town is called Circle. It's called Circle, basically. Mm-hmm. It's on the Arctic Circle. It's also on the um Yukon River. Wait a minute. I don't know where it is. The town, I'm I'm mistaking this now. The town was Fort Yukon. That was the town that my dad and uncle were somehow called in to to help the city get back together. Circle was where they put the car on the barge because i used to i used to work at the at a gold mine in circle hot springs which was down the road a piece anyway it was fort yukon and i think my chrysler is still in fort yukon (laughs) really well i mean it went up there in 1987 i don't think i don't i think when things go to fort yukon it's not like they come back from there, right? The Chrysler is either, they either pushed it into the river at a certain point or it's just sitting on the ed- edge of the village now being reclaimed by nature. The key element in that story was that my dad didn't empty out the car of all my stuff. I was like, well, what about the stuff that I had in the trunk and the stuff in the glove box? And you know, I had a bunch of things, my things that were in the car, my car. He was like, oh, I forgot or I didn't think about that there might be stuff in the trunk. And I was like, that there might be stuff in the trunk. It was full of stuff. All of that is up there in Fort Yukon now too. That's neither here nor there. And I, and, I, and I, it's maybe part of a simulation. It's 
far as I know. As far as I know, the NPCs in Fort Yukon are walking around wearing my old baseball hats. I mean, they're not really doing anything until someone's there to observe them, but I get, I take your point. Right, unless we're there to observe them. Right, if, if, an, if a non-NPC is there to observe them, then they are suddenly wearing your shirt or whatever. We should say to the, to the few of our listeners who don't already work in tech or play games, yeah, and who also are not willing or are in a car and mm-hmm. unable to look up right. terms, yes. an NPC is a non-player character, right. and they are the people in video games who are like there for you to shoot. Yeah, or, or interact. They're the shopkeeper that runs the shop so that when you return from your quest and you have the the ruby, you can give them the ruby and the, oh, you found my ruby. And then they're, you know, they give you five gold pieces. Yes, five gold pieces for the man's ruby. Yeah, whatever. You know, they, they're those kinds of things. They're the people, that, the creatures and people that you meet on your journey that are not other player characters. And there's also a more interesting concept to this. And, and this is something I've thought about a lot with, in the context of that we live in a simulation, but also even if we don't. And, and that is, I like to think about this. I'm sure that there's a really like sexy name for this, but I don't know it. But the idea is that the universe, the world that we live in, only exists when a consciousness is there to observe it. This is different from the concept that um, observation changes the results of an experiment uh, or the concept of things like uh, light being both of like a, working like a solid as well as a wave. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that like, so right now are you in, you're like in your basement or something, right? No, I'm sitting on my couch in my living room. Okay. Okay. So I'm guessing that your, your bedroom is on another floor. Maybe it's upstairs or it's in a different part of the house. So right now, if you pretend that you're the only person home right now, as you look around the, the only part of your house and your property that exists is what can, what you can directly observe. So right now, let's say your bedroom's on a floor above you. There is no bedroom up there. There is no floor above you up there. In fact, there's no house there until you go up there. And as you go up there, the simulation begins to render that around you. And let's say that there was some kind of pipe leak going on. I'm not wishing this on you, John. But let's just say there's some kind of leaky faucet or something. This pipe broke. Right now, there's no leak. Nothing's happening. There's no water coming out. Nothing like that. Until it's possible for you to observe either the effects of that water leak or something relating to that. So when you walk, when you walk upstairs, suddenly there's a, a the, as it's being rendered, there's the computer has done the calculations. It said, well, this pipe leak occurred 18 minutes ago. So based on this certain flow rate of our imaginary pipe, this is how much liquid would be on the ground. So when we render it for John, now we're going to render it with the liquid on the ground. Water's on the ground, puddle. But that didn't actually happen. Now, if it went long enough, there's enough water, it would start to drip down. But now it's encroaching on your actual space where you are. So therefore you would see it. But all this is happening kind of behind the scenes. There is no room up there for you to go to. Now, if you were to put, install a camera up there and look at the camera, well then, yeah, it's going to render the image, but it, the room is still not really there. It's only there 
when you can observe it. And so if nobody's outside of your house looking at your house, even though you're in your house, there's no house for them to see. There's a lot of people who are listening to this who are laughing and saying, that's ridiculous. But if you really think about it, most of the video game systems that we have, I'll take Minecraft, for example, because Minecraft has a world that you can walk around that's not truly infinite. It's not truly limitless. There are people who have come to the end of it, but it's huge. It's huge. And it would take you years, I think, to, as a Minecraft character, to walk from one end of it to the other, if not longer. But the way that this system stays efficient is it only renders what is sort of like a sphere of a certain number, a certain space around the player characters. So when you leave that space, once you're outside of that, where you were, that, that sphere travels with you. So if you leave an area and you go far enough away, what was in that old area is no longer being rendered. And that's to save the CPU resources. Well, if we're in a simulation, I have to think that even if we have these super advanced computers powering this ancestor simulation, that there still has to be some kind of resource limitation. So what if it worked that way? Even outside of the context of a simulation, what if it's true that things only exist when there's someone there to observe them or their effects are only observable when someone can observe them? And that seems to be kind of consistent with what we know of the universe. Schrodinger's cat. When do you make all that, John? Uh, what? Uh... Why you don't is have it, a bedroom. You don't have a bedroom until you're in it. Well, why is that simpler than things being as they appear? Because it would require it requires some kind of uh, it, it requires some kind of energy or effort um, to maintain those constructs within the system. And if you know about computers, you don't, you know, you don't need to have that application running unless you're using it. So you shut it down, conserve resources, conserve power. Something has to power this computer that we're living inside of. Right. Um, but, but what about fusion? What about it? Oh, like a limitless power, zero point energy. True, yeah. true. There's a good point, but maybe there's just no need to do it. Maybe the computer, the people who wrote it is efficient. It's like, just show, show the people what they need to see when they need to see it. When they don't need to see it, don't, don't keep rendering it. Only render it in that bubble around the person. But if you had unlimited energy, you could just do it and leave it all running all the time. Uh, you're probably right about that. Isn't that right. what isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we aspire to? Just leave everything on all the time. Yeah. Right. Why would you ever power something down if you didn't have to? Leave it up. Leave it on. I bought a base amp the other day for a hundred dollars because I was at the nice. base store. Mesa yeah, boogie. No, oh. not one of those. I was at the base store and I was talking to the, my friend the at the base store and I was like, God, I remember I used to have this. I, I bought this little half scale base for a girl I was dating. Nice. And I gave her a little five watt amp, little, little, you know, transistor amp. And she kept it behind her couch and she left it on all the time. No. 
because it was drawing next to zero power. And she kept this little half-scale bass on her couch. And when I would come over, I would pick up the bass, and it was on. And it was the most magical thing. Because it was always on. It was always on. Always, the tubes are always warm. Well, no, there were no tubes. It was a transistor amp. Oh. And so I bought a little amp. I was talking to this guy at the bass store, and he was like, let me show you something. And he took me in the back room, and there was a little bass amp. And he said, this bass amp is always on, and we use it to test basses. And, and when we go home at night, we just leave it on because the amp is down under the, under the desk, and it's too hard to get under there. And so he said, I calculated it the other day. This little amp has been on continuously for eight years. And he said, and he had done the math, and he knew, like, however many tens of thousands of hours or whatever it had, that amp had just been on. And I thought, what a great idea. And he said, here's the amp to get. And it was some little Fender amp called, like, the Boom Shaker or whatever, some dumb thing. Didn't cost any money. It just, you know, showed up. It was an Amazon purchase, $80 or something. And I put it behind the couch. Can you hear it? I, I can hear it very well. And I put the bass on the, on the couch. And when I sit down now, the bass is just alive. I love that. And I goof around all day. And it, I, it's so, it makes me so glad to just have, because it's, cause it's not drawing any power and it's not loud enough that it's going to feed back or anything. And I just think it's the, I just think it's the greatest thing I ever did. And not the greatest thing I ever did, Dan, but it's a, it's a nice <laughs> thing to have in the living room. Right. Right. As a live instrument. That's not acoustic. It's a, it's a, there's a big difference, Right. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in a world of infinite power, wouldn't everything be better if it was on? Always on. Everything always on. That's my goal. And I think that's how the universe is. Oh, I like I that. I think everything's it's on all the time. All the time. Even when it appears to be off, like when you are sleeping. Yeah. You're actually on all the time and running. And so is everything else. Even the NPCs, when you're not watching them, they're just walking around having deep conversations with each other. No one's there to witness it. And it's because it's because we're, we're all five watt amps, Dan, we're all five watt yeah. transistor amps. We're not drawing any power relative to the relative to the we're producing the power. power that's what you like you like the matrix right. idea where we're we're real and we're plugged in yes there's nothing about the matrix i like but yes <laughs> i do think right that we are all plugged in all the time i think we're we're a live base dan i'm a live base sitting on the couch you wouldn't know it you wouldn't know i was on until you picked me up and played me but there's no there's zero lag you know mm-hmm and and I'm and I'm counting on it. I think I think that's going to be the thing in our lifetimes. 
it's going to be, and now I no longer am thinking it's going to be clean nuclear energy. I think it's going to be geothermal energy mm-hmm. is going to make us all be, by the end of of the next 20 years, mm-hmm. here's how you know it's the future. Okay. Everyone's wearing robes. Okay. All of the robes are undyed flax. <laughs> okay. Right? This so, is fairly specific. Yeah, flax and robes. Uh-huh. Right? Everyone who can have dreadlocks does have dreadlocks. Okay. That's how you know it's the future. Okay. Right? Most people are like some kind of like, I don't know where you're from or what your story is, but clearly there are still religions because different people are wearing turbans or whatever. Mm. But everyone's in flax and garments. And I think by the time my child is an adult, that's where we'll be. And we won't be living underground while killer robots like scour the earth for us. We'll be living in a utopia of of free energy, and all the robots will be doing is tilling the fields peacefully. Peacefully tilling the fields and maybe growing like weird beef in a jar type of stuff like food but it's it's protein it's like um what is that stuff called soylent no 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 it's but it's it's like real it's like that that stuff they're working on where it's like actually it's pork but it was never part of a pig oh like there's a genetically you know like they got one cell from a from a pig they just you know and then everything else is just like cloned into the meat Super gross, super repulsive to even think about. Yeah, I don't like that. But there it is. Or although maybe with the flax, with the flax and garments, maybe we will finally transition away from needing the uh, mouth feel of flesh, (laughs) and we'll just all be content to eat spaghetti squash instead of spaghetti. And ultimate burger instead of burger. In a world with unlimited energy, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Because all all it takes to make a perfect tasting hamburger out of beets is that you pour energy to, into it, right? Because that's all we're eating is pure energy. 